A lot of times when you're praying with the gospel, you can kind of cheat a little bit in the sense of focusing simply on the words. But sometimes you need a deeper understanding of the particular context of a story to unpack the hidden meaning contained therein. And I just want to focus for our purposes today on one such story from the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. So basically, in the context of the story, Jesus is teaching the people of God many things about the things of God, when all of a sudden, some people come up to him and tell him a story about local happenings, if you will. So they talk to him specifically about a group of Galileans who are killed in the midst of offering sacrifice. They are killed by the followers of Pontius Pilate. Now, depending on the particular Bible commentary that you look at with regards to this particular passage, some people suggest that the people who raise this issue about the Galileans are trying to set a trap. They're trying to force Jesus to take sides. You know, do you side with the Galileans or do you side with the followers of Pontius Pilate? Running the risk, of course, of offending either side depending on who he sides with. You know, quite honestly, I think the people who are raising this issue aren't really trying to set a trap. And you know that because of a couple of reasons. First of all, because of their general tone, right? There's no sense of, of malice or wrongdoing conveyed in their tone, but also because of the Lord's response. It doesn't have a, a sense of a verbal deflection, if you will. So for both those reasons, I don't think the people who raise this issue about the Galileans are trying to trap Jesus in any sort of way. And so instead, if we try not to overthink the issue too much, I think rather it's a situation where Jesus, again, is trying to teach the people of God various things about the spiritual life, when all of a sudden these people come and say to him some variation of, hey, did you hear about the thing which happened down the street? And of course, if you read between the lines, the expectation on the part of these people is that Jesus will suddenly stop the lesson, he'll stop talking about the spiritual life, and all of a sudden switch into this lively back and forth about things related to local politics. But of course, the Lord doesn't do this, right? So instead, what he does is kind of interesting. He doesn't ignore this thing which has been raised, but instead he uses this occasion to convey a certain kind of teaching moment, if you will. And so what he basically says is like, look, do you think these Galileans were somehow worse sinners because they suffered this terrible fate? Instead, I tell you that you will suffer a worse fate than them unless you convert and repent. And the whole idea is that you must never allow yourself to be unduly distracted by this world or the things of this world, but rather you must use even occasions of tragedy, even occasions of death to focus your mind, to focus your mind on that which is important and indeed essential, namely the things of God and the ongoing need for repentance and conversion. You see, for my money, this is where things get kind of interesting, right? Because at this point in the story, Jesus suddenly shifts gears and suddenly tells the people of God this really famous parable, namely the parable of the fig tree. And I guess in particular for myself, what's kind of interesting is that whenever this story appears in the context of the Sunday lectionary, you don't have an option to skip the parable of the fig tree, right? So sometimes in a lectionary, you'll have that option. So sometimes you'll have a story where um, basically the church is giving the priest or the deacon or the bishop uh, the option to skip a, a challenging part of the story, right? So you can stop just before that challenging part and focus on the first part. But there is no such option when it comes to this particular story as it shows up in the Sunday lectionary which tells you that you're forced to make a connection between this episode involving the Galileans and the story involving the fig tree. And from my perspective, the key to connecting these different parts of the story is found in the number three. And so as you probably know, the parable of the fig tree basically goes like this, right? So there's this fig tree, obviously, which doesn't bear fruit for a period of three years. This master comes by and then threatens to cut down the fig tree because it hasn't borne fruit. In response to which, the gardener, I guess, kind of says, well, look, um, I'll put manure around the fig tree, give it another year. If it still doesn't bear fruit, then you can cut it down. The gospel of the Lord, praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
But more to the point, the thing you got to realize here is that the way to connect this story, again, the parable of the fig tree, to the earlier story of the Galileans, is to realize that the number three corresponds with the length of Jesus' public ministry during his time here on this earth. And so therefore, what Jesus is basically suggesting to these people in a really subtle sort of way is that this principle that he's basically articulating to all the people in this moment, this idea of focusing on the importance of the spiritual life and not being distracted by the things of this world, is not simply some abstract principle to keep in mind going forward in the future. It actually has immediate significance right now in the present moment. Because, of course, what's basically happening right now, people are essentially interrupting his class, even though he's only going to be here for three short years. And so given all that, if you put it all together, what Jesus is basically saying to these people, even though it sounds kind of funny, is some variation of, thanks for coming, thanks for bringing this stuff up, but if you don't mind, kind of shut up and sit down because essentially we got a lot of stuff to cover here. And you know, for me personally, all this stuff is reminiscent of this really significant confession that I once had back in the day before I actually entered into the seminary. So as a matter of background, I was going to confession to this priest friend of mine, right? So I'd gone to confession to him multiple times before, many times in the context of sort of a face-to-face -face confession. So he was able to give me uh, sort of specific advice, advice that was tailored specifically to my own situation. And in particular in this moment, what he said to me was that basically when you're young, when you're sort of a neophyte in the context of the spiritual life, you think that the option is basically between the good and the evil, you know? So should I do the good thing or should I do the evil thing? And so you wrestle with yourself and finally you decide, hopefully in many cases, to kind of pursue the good. But then he said that when you get older, or rather when you progress in a spiritual life, you realize that the option is not so much between the good and the evil, but rather between the lesser good and the greater good, the greater good and the perfect good. Mindful of the fact that we only have time in a certain sense for doing the few things the Lord wants us to do carefully and well. Okay, one final example, and I'll kind of end with this. So back in the day, one of my very good friends in the priesthood was feeling overwhelmed shortly after his ordination. So he was feeling kind of overwhelmed by the various things that he could do as a priest. And this went on for some time until my friend eventually stopped and prayed into the situation and then realized subsequently that the Lord was calling him to focus on the few things he's wanting to do carefully and well, as opposed to, again, the multitude of things that he could do in the context of his priestly duties. And so what ended up happening is that after a long period of praying in this way, kind of living the purposeful and intentional life, he eventually came to me and said, you know, Eric, I just realized that if you focus on doing the things that a priest should do, you actually have no time for anything else. And maybe it's just me, but I just found that to be like infinitely hilarious. And I guess the reason why I found that statement to be so funny, to be so hilarious, was because in a nutshell, it was essentially true, right? Many times we live under this illusion that we have time to waste, that we have time to, to burn, basically, on things that go nowhere. Sin, the lesser good, stuff, right? Whereas in reality, we only have time to focus on the few things the Lord wants us to do carefully and well, because the reality is, life is a lot shorter than you and I might actually think. Now that said, just to be clear, I'm not saying now that all of us are called to live now in the context of a spiritual concentration camp, if you will, right? Where we're all kind of spending time working and or praying. I'm not saying that at all. No, what I'm suggesting instead is that God is calling each one of us to live lives of integrity, where everything that we do, our, our work, our prayer, our playtime, even our rest time, is situated in terms of God's particular will for our lives, such that at the end of the day, we belong entirely to the Lord which if you think about it, is the very definition of holiness itself. And may God bless you all.